Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, it's good, good to be in the Lord's house today. Uh, we have, uh, we don't have any, uh, we have a couple of announcements actually in the bulletin. Uh, one, the uh, cookout uh, coming up uh, on the August 12th, uh, right here on our lawn. And the other will be the uh, baptism and the cookout at uh, Lake St. George on August 6th, Sunday. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. So. If you, we do have a, a, a few people that are going to be baptized, uh, and so if you never have been and you are interested in that, uh, just see, talk to Ian, and we can arrange that, I'm sure. Uh, any other announcements this morning that didn't make it in the bulletin? Allison. Food pantry on Saturday. Amen. Anything else this morning? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house. We thank you that we can, we can come and worship without fear. We pray that you would help us each and every day to be mindful of what your son Jesus did for us on the cross, that we might have eternal life. And we pray that you would help us to live according to your word and follow you and that those around us might uh, might see that we are different and desire to be like like us and like you and your word says be ye holy for i am holy so we thank you for this time lord we pray that you'd watch over each one of us this this day we pray that you'd help us to forget about the things that we might have going on after church and we all are so busy and we pray it should help us to uh, be able to think on your word today and meditate on it and that we might be more like you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Ian this morning as he brings the message. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Our scripture reading, I mean our call to worship rather, uh, will be on the uh, back of your, uh, of your bulletin. If you'd like to stand with me, we will, we will have our call to worship and then we will uh, turn to number 24 in the green book. Let's stand. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Amen. Now if you would turn with me to number 24 in your, uh, in your green.
uh, book. We'll stand and sing, The Earth is the Lord's. Amen. could come forward for the morning offering, please. Give back, O oh Lord, a percentage of what you gave. 
gave us to have in the first place, which is all yours anyway. But we gracefully and gratefully give back. So help us use it in your way, by your will, and use it wisely. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning will be found in John 10. If you'd like to follow along with me, uh, that will be the uh, John chapter 10, and uh, the title being, I am the Good Shepherd. John 10, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one, cares, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. 
So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you did not believe because you were not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. And now if you would turn with me in your green book to number 201, we will stand and sing Christ our hope in life and death. 201, stand and sing. Truth can come. 
575 in your blue book we'll sing leaning on the everlasting arms all right number 575 leaning on the everlasting arms we'll sing all three verses what a fellowship what a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms what a blessedness what a peace is mine leaning on the Oh, 
Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. What a gift it is to be able to lean on Jesus. That's just what we're going to do now as we go to the Lord together in prayer. Let's go together to God in prayer. We come to you this morning, our Father and our God, and we worship you. We worship you, Heavenly Father. We worship you, Lord Jesus, you who are seated and throned in heaven. We worship and thank you, Holy Spirit. You are among us. We worship you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We worship you, our triune God. We praise and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that though you were in the form of God, you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but that you emptied yourself taking the form of a servant, that you came to us as a good shepherd chasing down your sheep, We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come to us and found us in all the the mess that we've made for ourselves. Down the paths we've run, the, the rebellious race we've run away from you, and you've come after us, Lord Jesus, as our good shepherd. We thank you, Jesus, that you are seeking out your sheep, rescuing them from the places where they've been scattered in the storm that you're bringing us out from the peoples and gathering us from the countries. And what an assurance to know that you will bring your people into their own land. Our Father and our our Shepherd, we ask this morning that that you would be working among your sheep this morning, that you would seek the lost, bring back the strayed, bind up the injured, and strengthen the weak. As we come to you this morning, Father, we are, we are conscious, we are aware of our sin, of how far we fall short from your perfect standard and from the wonderful character of Christ. We confess that in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions this week that we have sinned and done wrong. Both consciously and unconsciously, we've turned aside from you. We've rebelled against you and we have not obeyed your voice by following the way you have set before us in your word. And so we ask this morning, Father, that you would have mercy on us according to your steadfast love, that according to your abundant mercy, you would blot out our transgressions, that through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, that you would wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. Let's take a moment now to silently confess our sins to God. Let's hear now the word of God, the words of Jesus Christ, which he extends this day and every day until the end of the world to any who would come to him. When he says to us from Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We praise and thank you, Lord Jesus, that having come to you by true faith in your death and resurrection, we have found rest for our souls rest from our sins, rest from the fear of death, rest from constant striving to establish us, ourselves before God and men. In you, Lord Jesus Christ, we find perfect rest, perfect forgiveness of our sins, perfect peace with you, and the perfect promise of eternal life with you forevermore. We thank you, we praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Be our Sabbath rest this morning. We come to you this morning, Father, first with, first with an attitude of gratitude and of thankfulness uh, for all that you have done for us and all that you are doing in our midst. We praise you and we thank you for your great salvation that you've given us in Jesus. And we praise you and thank you for the work that you're doing among us, even today, even this morning, by your Holy Spirit in showing us Jesus. We praise you and we thank you for the work that you are doing around the world by your Holy Spirit, through your people, as many people are coming to know you, as your kingdom is growing and expanding like a little leaven, leavening the whole loaf, like a little tree which has now grown to shade the whole world. We praise and we thank you, Lord, and we, we ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that around the world your kingdom work would be going forward in the power of your word and the power of your spirit and the, through the faithfulness of your people. We ask, Lord, that you'd, uh, that you'd bring new spiritual life uh, to the nations of, of, um, of Africa, Lord, where the, the work of your gospel has just been exploding and expanding over the last number of years. We pray, Lord, that you'd watch over the persecuted saints in Asia. Lord, we ask that you'd watch over the, the Christians who are gathering to worship even today in North Korea, those who are... Um, those who are being careful who's watching them as they go to church in China. We ask, Lord, that you'd watch over the saints who are, um, who are gathering together today in, in Muslim-majority countries, in places where it is not legal for them to gather, but where they gather together anyways in your name, in faithfulness to you. We ask that you'd watch over them and that your kingdom would advance there and across the nations. And we ask too, Lord, that your kingdom work would be, would be happening here in our nation and in our state and in our community in a place which is growing increasingly dark to your word and, and to the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you'd make us faithful to be salt and light. That, Lord Jesus, as, as, uh, if, the dark, if the darkness continues to grow, that your gospel would simply shine all the brighter in the darkness. And we ask, Lord, that you'd... Um, You'd be at work here. We thank you with our sister Donna for all the work that you're doing here. Lord, for the growth that we see in individual lives and for people coming into our church fellowship. And we thank you, we praise you for that. We ask, Lord, that you continue to work here and in the other churches of Waldo County and across the state of Maine. Lord Jesus, that your name would be lifted up.
We ask, Father, that you'd be at work among us this morning. We ask that you'd bring us conviction where we need to be convicted. We ask that you'd grant us repentance where we need to make a U-turn. We ask, Lord, that you'd grant comfort and healing where we have wounds. We ask that you'd assure us of the forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ where we have guilt and shame. We ask that you would apply the gospel to our hearts where we walk in legalism. We ask, Lord, that you'd show us the loveliness of your law where we are walking in license. We ask, Lord, in all things this morning that you would show us Jesus, that we would see him for who he is, that we would hear him for who he is, though we have not seen him with our eyes, that we would know him and that we would love him with our whole hearts. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. The uh, final song before the message is uh, number 408. If you'd like to turn and stand with me, we'll sing the first and last verses of how firm a foundation, verses one and four. might be my favorite hymn. I remember the first time I sang it in church. I was visiting a church, and I'd never heard the hymn before. And as we sang it, I was just so deeply affected at the boldness of these promises, right? Worded as if, as if, as if from the very mouth of God, right? Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. What a, what a wonderful word in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. 
right? What a promise in the midst of suffering, in the midst of affliction, right? When we can feel the, the fire we're being put through to know the Lord is sovereign even over these things, right? And his design for us is good. He works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his good purpose. You can turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13. Matthew 13, and we're going to begin in verse 18. We'll be uh, in a number of passages of, of Scripture this morning, but we'll start in Matthew 13. We're continuing our study this morning through our church's proposed confession of faith. And so just by word of clarification, a reminder of what, it is, what this document is and the way this process is working, uh, this is a, a confession of faith which the deacons and I have worked through and which we, we stand behind as what we believe to be a biblical summary uh, of the basics of the Christian faith and which we're now bringing before you as a church with the eventual hope of adopting some form of this confession as our church's statement of faith. And we're trying to do this carefully and systematically and, and slowly. Actually, it's been a couple of years since the starting point when the deacons and I first started considering this process. So uh, we're trying to do this in a deliberate way. And uh, uh, intentionally, part of what we're doing here on Sunday morning is, is working through this as a congregation so that if you have concerns or if you have questions or just clarification, that this is your opportunity to bring those things up and to say, hey, I've got a question here. And I'm grateful we've had a number of people, uh, at least a number of people have spoken to me and said, hey, I have a question. Or even, hey, I'm not sure about the wording on this. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Um, that's the point of this process. Um, the hope is that eventually when, when we bring this before the, the members of the church to approve it as our, as our confession of faith, that um, we'll have it worded in such a way that all of us can stand behind it and say, yes, we believe this. We're together on this. And that this can be a, a kind of a uniting platform for us to stand on for years to come. So all that to say, send your emails, make your phone calls if you have questions <laughs> or concerns. That's the point. Okay, so the section we're looking at this morning is entitled, Of the Perseverance of the Saints. And so you'll find that in your bulletin insert on the back of the perseverance of the saints. The simple fact of life in the church, life as a Christian, is that while many of those who profess the name of Christ will continue in the faith their whole lives, there will also be some who at some point confess the name of Christ who for some reason do not continue in the faith. Some people walk away. Probably this is real to us, personally, most of us. We can call to mind family or friends or former church members who at one point seemed to have some measure of strength in their profession of the name of Jesus Christ who've now left it all behind. This is the sobering fact of apostasy. Some who profess the faith later deny it. And this fact 
of apostasy raises some concerning questions, um, a couple of which are going to be addressed for us this morning in this section of the confession. Questions like this. Is it possible for those who truly believe to lose their faith, to deny their Savior? This is a fear many Christians wrestle with, right? Could, could I deny the faith? And then for those who leave the faith, our friends and our family, the question then becomes, well, are they saved? If they made a profession and then have walked away, are they still saved? Were they ever saved in the first place? How should we think about this? How should we pray for those loved ones who are in that situation? These questions are heavy ones, for many of us personal ones, either because of our own fears about denying the faith or our own concern for those we love. And so this is relevant, and I'm grateful that it's addressed in, our, in this uh, confession we're taking a look at. It's important that we should ask these questions with an open Bible right, and say, what does the Word of God teach about these things? so that we can find biblical answers to these questions. So I'd like to begin in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, and beginning in verse 18, where Jesus is, is going to tell us the parable of the sower. He's speaking to his disciples. And part of what he's doing in telling the, the parable of the sower is preparing his disciples not to be surprised when some who claim the name of Jesus walk away. So Matthew 13, beginning in verse 18. He's told the parable early in the chapter. Here he's going to explain it. Matthew 13 and beginning in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of God. Let's pray as we come to the Lord and to his word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us, for not leaving us in the darkness. We ask that as we come to your word this morning, you would make it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that you would reveal to us and show us those things which it is important for us to understand in terms of the Christian life in order for us to continue in faithfulness to Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that as you give us light and understanding, in those areas which you have revealed to us, that you would also give us humility to trust you 
and to accept our ignorance in those things which are too high for our small understandings. We ask finally, Father, that you would show us Jesus in your word, that in hearing and in believing and in loving his words, that we may be brought further up and further in into your eternal life and that we would overflow in our love for you, in our joy in the gospel, and in our peace in your power. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When Jesus told his disciples this parable of the sower, this parable of the seed scatterer, right, and which seeds would sprout and grow, which seeds would be taken away, which seeds would be choked out, he did so understanding that before long the crowds which flocked to hear him and see his miracles would dissipate. He knew that many of those who now followed him around the Galilean countryside would leave him. That the allure of the signs Jesus produced would, would fade away in light of the, the cost of the cross. Jesus told them this parable knowing that their friend Judas would betray him and them. And he told the disciples this parable knowing that when these disciples became apostles and spent and even gave their lives for the ministry of the gospel to share the good news of Jesus around the world, that even there, many of those who heard or even co-laborers with them might follow for a time and then fall away. Jesus knew all these things. And he wanted to prepare them at the outset of their ministries. Don't be surprised by this. This is one outcome of the gospel being shared. He tells them, verse 20, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately, he falls away. According to Jesus, there is a, a category, a kind of believer, one who names the name of Jesus, whose faith is, quite literally in terms of the parable, superficial, surface level. It has no root in it. It may grow and sprout for a time, even vigorously, like a little seedling on the sidewalk in the rain. But as soon as opposition or difficulty arises, the superficial nature of this shallow faith is revealed and they fall away. So Jesus is preparing his disciples. He doesn't want them to be surprised by this. He wants his disciples to expect this. But it does raise an additional question. What's the difference between an enduring faith and a superficial faith? We know in terms of the parable, right? The seed that's planted in good soil grows, or the seed that lands on the rocks isn't going to endure. But what's the difference in terms of a, a heart in which the, 
the gospel grows and endures, in which faith thrives, and, and the, the heart in which faith springs up for a time and, and does not endure. What's the difference? Right? Because some do endure, according to Jesus. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one that hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So what's the difference between the rocky soil and good soil when it comes to the gospel? Or in other words, why do some fall away? And to answer this question, we're going to look at a number of passages of Scripture, but I'd like us to turn first to 1 John. 1 John, if you're following along in your Bibles. This is a letter written by the Apostle John with a number of encouragements for Christians. Um, but one theme that comes out again and again, which is really one of the headlines of 1 John, is that of assurance. Assurance. John wants his readers to be assured of the reality and the lasting nature of their faith. He wants them to know that they're really saved. And one of the key criteria John gives Christians in order to know that they really belong to Christ is if there's fruit. If they're growing in sanctification, which we talked about last week, right? If they're growing in obedience to Jesus. So, for example, in 1 John 3, John says this. 1 John 3 and verse 9. 1 John 3, 9. He says this. No one born of God, he's speaking there of the new birth, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, John's making a statement here without any qualifications. I think we probably should include a couple of qualifications. What he, he does not mean that if you're born again, you will cease from sinning entirely. Right. There's been some heretics that have taught that over the years. That's right. it's not the case. But what he does mean to say, I think, in context, the greater context of this passage, is that those who truly know God will be and must be changed. Those who are truly born of God, cannot, will not, go on in the same sinful lifestyles in which they once walked. The overall trajectory is no longer towards the darkness. The overall trajectory of the one who's been born again is it bends towards righteousness. It might be a slow bend towards righteousness, but it bends towards righteousness. So let's, let's try and integrate this with the parable of the sower, see how these two fit together. So s some are truly born of God. They bear the fruit of faith and are changed. Their lives are no longer categorized by a trajectory towards sin, but towards righteousness, right? The, the seed has been planted and there's fruit coming up above the ground, right? Others are not truly born of God. Though they may spring up at first, their lives in the end do not display the fruit of true faith. And it's interesting, John acknowledges 
that in some of the church communities he's writing to, that some who once walked among them in their communities had left, had abandoned the gospel and abandoned Christ, and their lives were not actually showing lasting fruit of real spiritual change. So John acknowledges this in 1 John 2. Look at the chapter, previous chapter, 1 John 2, verse 19, and he's speaking of some who've denied the name of Christ who have now left the church community. He says this, they went... Uh, 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See the distinction he's making here. He's saying if they really had been of us, if they'd really been truly born of God, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us so that it would become clear they weren't actually of us. By contrast, John tells us that those who are truly born of God will endure. So if you go to 1 John 5, in verse 18, he, he teaches us this, 1 John 5, 18, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, speaking of Jesus there, and the evil one does not touch him. Those who are truly born of God, according to John, are truly changed and will change, not because of their own power, but because he who was born of God, Jesus, protects them so that the evil one cannot touch them. The long and the short of it, the sort of the synthesis of I think what John is getting across here is that John is arguing that those who leave the faith without repentance show that they were not truly of the church. They were not truly born of God. Their faith was a superficial one. And then on the other hand, those who are truly born of God are protected by God such that they do and indeed must in time bear fruit. And this is exactly what the confession articulates in its first two lines. It says this, We believe that such only are real believers, note that term, real believers, as endure to the end. We believe that their persevering attachment to Christ, the fact that they remain in Christ, is the grand mark which distinguishes them from those with, note this term, superficial professions of faith. And all of this is connected together with and really dependent on the final statement of this section, which says this, we believe that a special providence, we talk about providence, we're talking about God's kind, sovereign care over all things, but specifically over here, specifically over those who belong to him. We believe that a special providence watches over their welfare and that they are kept by the power of God, held, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. 
So I actually want to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about that last statement and whether it actually bears out to be true in Scripture. Can we actually find this idea in the Word of God? Because if this is true, the first two statements actually must be true. If God, in his special providence, watches over the welfare of real believers, keeping them in his power through faith unto salvation, they cannot fall away. Real believers. If God holds them, who can tear them out of his hand? So if this is the case, if this is true scripturally, then those who leave the faith those who deny Christ must not in the first place have been truly born of God, but instead belong to that group described by Christ as those seeds cast upon the rocks who spring up in superficial faith only for a time to be swept away by trials. Understood this way, this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints might be better termed the perseverance of the Savior. If God actually never lets go of those who are his, then they never can be lost. They will persevere. So I want to go to a number of passages to see this in Scripture. Um, so first we can look at a couple of statements of the Apostle Paul. We'll flip, we'll flip quickly here. Philippians 1. Philippians 1, if you're following along, and verse 6. You'll be familiar with this passage. Philippians 1, 6. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Notice the logic of that sentence. Who began the salvation? According to Paul, God. It's God who begins this work. And if he began it, according to Paul, he will finish it. God is not one to leave a job halfway. If he began the work of our salvation, according to Paul, he will finish it. And the apostle fleshes out the details of exactly how God sustains and finishes our salvation in Romans 8. You turn there, Romans 8. We've looked at these passages recently, but there's wonderful promises here. Romans 8, starting in verse 28. Romans 8, 28. I'm sure you've heard this verse before. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now he goes on, and we're going to read the next verses. He fleshes out how this is, but... But frankly, we could stop there and we'd have the perseverance of the saints. God works all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Would allowing us to run away from him so far that we cast ourselves into eternal damnation be a good thing? That's not all things working together for good. This promise is that for those who love him, 
who are called by him, he will work all things, that's all inclusive, for good, which will lead ultimately to our eternal salvation and joy, which is what he fleshes out in the next verses, right? Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for what? Glory, right? To be conformed to the image of his son. That this is the plan of God, that all those he knows, he has actually foreordained, he has predestined, that we will be conformed perfectly to the image of Jesus in eternal glory. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then notice this, this chain of, of actions. These, all these verbs are things God does. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. To be justified is to be counted righteous before Jesus, right? Those whom he calls, he also justifies, salvation by his blood. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies, right? And what's the eternal glory which, which God is moving us towards? It's perfect conformity to the image of his son in resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the glory he's moving us towards. And listen to the, the confidence, right, the boldness with which Paul just lays it out. Right? Those whom he foreknew, he predestines. Right? This, this golden chain. Right? He will bring to glory those who are his. But this isn't just, we don't just find this in the Apostle Paul, right? It's not just Paul that teaches the perseverance of the saints. It also comes from the mouth of Jesus. So let's turn to John 6, John chapter 6, and verse 30, starting in verse 37. These are verses we've looked at recently. John 6 and beginning in verse 37. This is Jesus speaking here, and he, he tells us this. All that the Father gives, gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. These kinds of promises are promises we can stand on boldly as, as Christians, as those who, who claim the name of Christ. Right? If we have a true and living faith in Jesus, we can stand on this promise, right? That Jesus, as he's looking forward to the resurrection day, can say with full certainty, this is the will of him who sent me, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He will lose nothing. No one, not a soul, of all those whom the Father has given him. This is reason to take heart. This is the will of him who sent me. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. All those sheep that are his, he will bring into the fold. For as Christ said on another occasion, in words we read earlier in the service, in John 10, 
verse 27, and we just talked about this two weeks ago. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No qualifications there. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. In those passages and in others, what I I see again and again and again is a special providence watching over the welfare of those who belong to Jesus, keeping them by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So let's, let's think about a couple of practical applications of this teaching. First, as regards our own salvation. We can take heart, we can have confidence that Christ holds on to us. We hold on to him only as he holds on to us. Now this, of course, is true in cases where, everyone, where everything goes well, Right? We know these kinds of stories where someone comes to Christ and they're faithful the rest of their days. They, they, obviously, they're still sinners, right? but there's just this continual, like, even slope of growth. But I'd want us to see that it's true, too, for those Christians whose paths are more complicated. And many of us have, have those complicated stories in terms of the, the consistency of our Christian walk. Many Christians, upon making a profession of faith, will, during one season or another, wander from Christ or flag in their zeal or even attempt to run away altogether, plunging themselves into sin and rebellion. Some of us in this room have stories like this. But in so many of these cases, the testimony of these Christians is that despite their best efforts to run off the path, Christ kept pursuing. A shepherd does not forget his sheep. He pursues them. For so many Christians who try their darndest to run away from Jesus, they find he's inescapable. The faster they run, the more places they find him. More than one of you in this room has shared with me stories like this. Stories of running away from God for whatever reason and finding yourself pursued. Some, that pursuit looks different. Sometimes it's just a deep and heavy conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes after long years of forgetfulness of the things of the Lord, it's just a reawakening. For some, it's a radical change and transformation by a rediscovery of the gospel after a time of rebellion. But this is, this is God's way. We may fall, as we said a couple weeks ago, we may fall on his hand, but we cannot fall off it. We may run on his hand, but we cannot run off it. He will pursue those who truly belong to him. And this means we can have a measure of certainty as Christians when it comes to our assurance of salvation. 
If we have turned from sin and are walking in and growing in Jesus, filled with his spirit, bearing fruit in our Christian lives, we have every reason to believe that we belong to Christ, that we are of his sheep, and that indeed for all of us, a special providence watches over our welfare, and we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. We can take heart if we belong to Christ. He will not lose us. If it were up to us in our own human fleshly strength, I'm sure I would lose him. But he will not lose us. He's promised it. What does this mean, though, for those, those we love that are wandering from God? Who at some point made a profession of faith at a young age, maybe walked down the aisle, but who now give little evidence of a Christian walk? How should we think about these people? How should we pray for them? It's a good question, and it's a hard question, in part because a final answer is somewhat beyond our pay grade. Multiple possibilities might be true. It could be that these wandering ones truly belong to Christ and are only in a temporary season of rebellion from which Christ will surely snatch them back. Or it may be that their earlier profession of faith was only superficial and that their falling away was only a, following, a falling away from a surface level of faith. And that their need is not to return to the Christian life, but to discover the Christian life for the first time. Probably for all of us, this question is personal on some level. And so my, my encouragement to you would not be to spend your time considering things which are above your pay grade. I wonder if they were ever really saved. I, wa I wonder, I, 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 it's, you drive yourself crazy doing that. These things belong to God. Here's what we can do. Because actually the course of action for someone who's running from Jesus is the same. Whether they were truly saved in the first place or whether they need to be truly regenerate for the first time. Which is to pray that God would work on their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And to be faithful in sharing the love of Jesus and calling them back to the Lord. Whatever the case, their need is for the good shepherd to run after them, to pick them up, and to carry them home. Our responsibility in the matter is simply to proclaim and to pray, to point our loved ones to Christ by word and deed, and to pray that the Lord would bless as we do so. Oftentimes, the, it seems the, the answers to the thorniest questions aren't to figure everything out on our own, but to cast ourselves on the wisdom and the power and the love of God.
I'm going to end the service today by reading a benediction which I often read from, from Jude, verses 24 and 25. So I'll, I'll pray it over us after we sing the doxology. But, but before we, I pray it, I actually want to read the words so we think about them. Jude is right before Revelation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. We've probably heard those words again and again and again. Let's think about them just for a moment. What I'd like to leave us with this morning is, is that opening phrase, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Isn't this the picture that we've seen in Philippians, in Romans, and in John? That it's he who holds us. It's he who is able to keep us from stumbling. It is he who will present us before the Father in glory and in great joy. Who is it that is able to keep us from stumbling? Who is it that will hold on to us? Who will receive the glory when one day we cross that threshold into the place Christ has prepared for us? It will not be us. The glory of our perseverance is not ours, but it is God's. And we will say on that day, all the glory to him who was able to keep me from stumbling and to present me blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask your help now that as you have brought these things before us in your word that we would understand them rightly and that we would live in the light of them. That you give us assurance and peace in understanding that it's you who hold us, that it's you who keep us from stumbling by your mighty power. And we pray too that that where we may not have answers, you would grant us peace as we lift those around us who are far from you before you. We trust your son's words when he said that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. We know, Heavenly Father, that, that in this age, as we await the coming of Jesus, you are in the business of saving people. And so we ask, Lord, that by the might of your, of your mighty right arm that you would save in our day, that you would save in our families, that you would save in our community, that you would seek and save the lost, you'd bring back the wandering into the loving embrace of your sheepfold. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We forgot to pray the Lord's Prayer earlier. Let's pray together. In the words that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, 
as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, 